2: Now, in effect, Jesus is saying here, you're all going to be scared out of your wits, run away, and hide. But I've told you this so you can be at peace. When you think about it, that really doesn't make an awful lot of sense. And some people might say, well, does that sound like Jesus was mocking them? That's not what Jesus was doing. What was Jesus doing? What was Jesus saying?
1: The disciples certainly had their problems, didn't they? And yet, Christ built the church on those few individuals we'll hear more about all of this on today's edition of study verse by verse as pastor leighton shealy opens the word of god to the book of john chapter 16 and uh, continues the study we've been in for the last number of weeks open your bible to the book of john chapter 16 and
2: follow along you know it's very comforting Uh, to me and and to many, that recognize that the entire apostolic group was made up of of believers of this caliber. You know, I mean, think about what they're saying right here. Hey, we're with you, Jesus. And then in a few hours, they're going to be everywhere except. And yet God, in his mercy and grace, ultimately transforms these men and a man who turned the world upside down for Christ Jesus. And this very poor beginning serves to remind us that Christianity owes its establishment not to the apostles, but to Jesus Christ. C.H. Dodd wrote, It is part of the character and genius of the church that its foundation members were discredited men. It owed its existence not to their faith, courage, or virtue, but to what Christ had done with them. And this they could not forget. Now, the limitations of their faith would be shown shortly when they abandoned the Lord. And their failure was recorded faithfully in the scriptures. I am so thankful that our salvation doesn't depend on the strength of our faith. Our resolve or our knowledge or anything about us, that our salvation is because of what Christ has done for us. I am so glad that the Lord accepts weak, stammering and ignorant faith, because if He didn't, what would become of us? Who could be saved? Now, notice the things that Jesus prophesied concerning them. First, they would be scattered. Right now, they're together, and there's always encouragement in numbers or strength in numbers, but they would soon be scattered and they would be isolated. They would each scatter to his own, his own city, his own home, his own thoughts, his own little world. And there would no longer be any cohesion with the men who were to become the foundation of the Christian church. However, Jesus says, though you will desert me, the Father will not. And it is true that the Father abandoned Jesus on the cross, but it was only temporary. Jesus said, why hast thou forsaken me? It was because of what he was accomplishing on Calvary's cross. Verse 33 I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, in effect, Jesus is saying here, you're all going to be scared out of your wits, run away, and hide. But I've told you this so you can be at peace. Now, you think about it, that really doesn't make an awful lot of sense. And some people might say, does that sound like Jesus was mocking them? That's not what Jesus was doing. What was Jesus doing? What was Jesus saying here? Well, when they'd all forsaken Jesus, they might in the future feel uneasy thinking about him or being with him. In fact, they might be inclined to think that after they deserted him, he would no longer love them. But he predicted their desertion in the very saying in which he assured them of the peace that he would give them. In other words, he loved them for what they were, in spite of all of their shortcomings. And when in the future they looked back on their desertion, they'd reflect on the fact that Jesus had predicted it, and that Jesus knew what they were going to do, and that he had promise them his love and his peace in spite of it. Do you know that God knows everything about you? Every sin you have ever committed. Every sin you will ever commit. And he loves you completely. You know, sometimes we as believers do something we know is wrong. This thought may cross our mind. Something like, I wonder if God can forgive me after I've done this. I wonder if He still loves me. Listen, if He loved you before you did whatever you did, He loves you after. Because whatever you did was not a surprise to Him. It may have been a surprise to you, but it wasn't a surprise to Him. And if He loves you, He loved you before, He loves you afterwards. And that's what Jesus is saying by this. I know that you're going to fall away, that you're going to scatter, that you're going to run, you're going to hide. I know that. But be of peace, for I love you. This is the meaning of a Christian's peace. It's not the absence of conflict or trial or disappointment. It's the contentment and trust that comes that God loves us in spite of everything including our circumstances now structurally in the world is in contrast with in me because in the world refers to this worldly system that is in opposition to God and what Jesus says here is the world will inevitably bring trouble that's characteristic of the world but take heart I have overcome the world And uh, it's said in the perfect tense, indicating an abiding victory. And Jesus makes this statement in the shadow of the cross. Now, to an outsider, it would seem that the cross was the time of Jesus' total defeat. But Jesus sees it differently. He has a different perspective on it. Jesus sees the cross as having complete victory over the world. All the world is... And all the world can do to him. He goes to the cross not defeated, but as a conqueror. Jesus overcame the world in three areas in his life. Because he lived his life in fulfillment of God's plan for him. And did so without sin or deviation at any point. He overcame the world. He said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me. And then he overcame the world in his death. Because his death was the price of our sin. And he broke sin's hold on us. And he overcame the world in his resurrection. By his resurrection, he proved that his claims were true. And began his journey back to heaven from whence he now rules the church and will someday return to establish his eternal kingdom. And so Jesus closes his time of teaching his disciples just hours before going to Calvary's cross with words of encouragement. He says to take heart. He was the great encourager. And the Holy Spirit continues that ministry today. D.A. Carson wrote... The farewell discourse is thus come full circle. At the beginning, Jesus' followers are told, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And now we read again, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Both of these texts focus on Jesus Christ. Both of them promise peace to the believer who truly trusts Christ. Therefore, all that Jesus has been saying is to encourage his followers to look at the world from the perspective of Jesus and his triumph. So what does the world look like from the perspective of Jesus' triumphant death, resurrection, and exaltation? Well, on one hand, the world appears all the more evil and loathsome. And yet on the other hand, This is the world the father loved enough to send his son. The world for which the Lamb of God died. On one hand, this is the world that rejected the Savior and condemned him to death. Yet on the other hand, by that same death, the Savior defeated the prince of this world. And on one hand, this is the world which persecutes God's people and inflicts both petty irritants and massive scourges upon them. And yet on the other hand, that is the way the master went, and therefore it is the way his disciples must be prepared to go. On the one hand, the world spells trouble. But on the other hand, living by faith in Jesus enables us to partake of the age to come. The crucial victory has been fought and won. Jesus has overcome. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so we continue to live and love and serve while awaiting his triumphal return. Amen. Lord, we are so very, very thankful that you have overcome the world. And that you love us after knowing everything about us. And Lord, we are so very, very thankful that you have given us your word and your Holy Spirit. That you have given us purpose in life. That is to share this gospel, this good news with others who are so desperately needing to hear it. And that Lord, when this life has run its course, you have given us hope that we will spend eternity with you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us throughout time and eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. And that brings
1: us to the end of this particular study. We'll pick up with a new sermon study on uh, the next edition of this broadcast as we wrap up the week. This is Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands. He's been in the book of John for quite a few weeks, and if you've missed any of those studies, you can uh, download them and listen to them uh, when you go to the website, studyversebyverse.com. Uh, you can also join with us financially. This is a nonprofit outreach from the church, and we'd appreciate your prayer support and your financial support you can give when you go to that website safely and securely. Again, that's studyversebyverse.com. Have a great rest of your day, and join us tomorrow if you can when once more Pastor Layton will open the Word of God and we'll study verse by verse